Welcome to Traveling Culturati, where we explore cultures and share travel news, travel tips, destinations, and travel chats. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Well, hey there, fellow Culturati. Javon Harley here, your host and travel pro for Traveling Culturati. I want to thank you for coming back for another week of travel news, travel tips, and travel chats. Now, according to the U.S. Census, 19% of the U.S. population has a disability, and 49% of U.S. seniors have a disability. As more baby boomers with disabilities are retiring, they want to travel more than ever, and they're willing to spend the money to do it. So, how are the needs of travelers with special needs being met? Today, Tamika Strange, the CEO of Capable Clothing, joins me with the information and tips for travelers with special needs. We also have Javon's Travel Minute and the Culture Report. But right now, let's get into a little travel news. Listen to this title. Before yesterday, we could fly. Visions of a fictive black future take flight at the Met. I'm talking about the Metropolitan Museum of Art. They have a new variation on the period theme that they normally produce. And this new theme, rather than looking at the past, a new concept exhibition is Before Yesterday, We Could Fly. It's an Afrofuturist period room. And it asks, what if instead of showcasing what was, the idea and concept for the room came from a thought experiment in thinking of what a modern or even a futuristic period room would look like. The Met's period rooms have historically centered on the lives of the Western white. In the world of Before Yesterday We Could Fly, Seneca Village, the predominantly black settlement near the Upper West Side of Manhattan that was completely destroyed in the 19th century to create Central Park, continues on. And we're visiting the home of a descendant. It's a speculative imagination, according to one of the museum's curators. The Afro-Futurist Room rewrites some of the history of places like Seneca Village and a few other untold 19th and 20th century black community stories that were destroyed, collapsing the past, present, and future into a kaleidoscope vision of black life. The Met called on Hannah Beachler, the Oscar-winning production designer behind Black Panther and Beyonce's Lemonade, and Michelle Commander the associate director and curator of the Lapidus Center for the Historical Analysis of Transatlantic Slavery at the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture to collaborate on the vision. For Commander, whose books include Afro-Atlantic Flight, Speculative Returns, The Black Fantastic, the room's mission nicely dovetailed with some of her own research. She says, what I took from our conversation early on was that it was my definition of speculation and speculative thought and the ways that black people have been able to take control of their bodies and their futures that really spoke to the kind of project that they wanted to create at the Met. The room's name refers to the visionary writings of Virginia Hamilton. She also recognized that the project's focus on Seneca Village 
there was a chance to lend some humanity to the people of that community in ways they had never had before in reality in the early 19th century. The Met is careful to note that while the ideas behind the room predated the Black Lives Matter protests of 2020, before yesterday we could fly, we'll kick off a string of exhibitions focused on race and social justice. Among the shows to come are Fictions of Emancipation, Carpo Recast, that'll be in March, dealing with the abolition of slavery in France, and another about the Harlem Renaissance. But with all of them, before yesterday we could fly, included the idea is not to tell a definitive story of black history, but to raise provocative and complicated questions, beginning with the art on display. Before yesterday we could fly, an Afro futurist period room is now open at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Oh, I'd like to see that. Alaska Airlines is banning plastics on their flights. Yes, it has already begun. In an effort to step up its commitment to sustainability and environmental responsibility, Alaska Airlines announced that it would be banning single-use plastic water bottles and plastic cups from drinks during service on their flights. It will instead serve paper packaged boxed water is better brand and use recyclable cardboard cups. The move will see 1.8 million pounds of plastic products saved from landfills and the oceans. The company said it reached its decision after a 2019 self-assessment of the environmental impacts the carrier had. By and large, plastic water bottles were the largest largest contributor of waste, according to Todd Trainer Corey, managing director of guest products for Alaska Airlines. He added, and even though a big percentage of them were recycled, many of them did end up in the landfills or in the ocean. As the fifth largest airline in the U.S., Trainer Corey said the change will remove an estimated 22 million plastic cups and 32 million plastic bottles from flights through 2022, according to the Washington Post. Alaska Airlines says it's also striving to achieve net zero carbon emissions by 2040 and be the most fuel efficient airline in the U.S. by 2025. United Airlines is adding premium economy to more of its Boeing 767s and Airbus A321 XLRSs. It's now official. United Airlines will retrofit its remaining Boeing 767-300 ERs with a dedicated international premium economy and offer the product on board all of its upcoming Airbus A321 XLR aircraft. United's premium economy cabin, which will be dubbed United's Premium Plus, is an upgraded experience compared to economy class. Though a few steps shy of the lie-flat seating with direct aisle access that can be found in its Polaris cabin. While it may come at the expense of seats on planes, the premium economy cabin has a lot of potential to grow yields compared to what an extra leg room or standard economy cabin can bring in. Now, American Airlines canceled nearly 2,000 flights last weekend. 
The cause was due to weather and staff shortages, according to the company. The cancellations are just the latest in airline struggles amidst rebounding travel. While demand has been steadily increasing, airlines hemmed up by staff cuts put in place more than a year and a half ago when COVID began its impact on the industry. American Airlines says that 343 were canceled last Friday, followed by another 548 cancellations last Saturday and 800 last Sunday. Most of the canceled flights were coming to and from the airline's main hub in Dallas-Fort Worth, as well as in Charlotte, North Carolina. Southwest Airlines widespread cancellations and now American Airlines could be a sign of things to come. In a letter to staff sent out recently, American Airlines CEO David Seymour said the company proactively canceled flights last Sunday because of severe winds in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and a shortage of crews. Most of the customers being impacted by these changes were being rebooked the same day. Regarding staff, Seymour says that 1,800 flight attendants are returning from leave in November and that the company will add 600 new flight attendants by the end of the year. Weather and staffing shortages are the same reasons Americans cited when it canceled nearly a thousand flights in July. In early October, Southwest Airlines cited issues were weather and air traffic control when they canceled more than a thousand flights over a weekend. Spirit Airlines also canceled hundreds of flights on a single day in August. In reaction to the canceled flights, certainly have been swift and critical on social media. There were photos posted showing long lines for rebooking the flights. So unless the airlines can really bring back their crews, whenever there's a hiccup in the chain, then we can expect maybe some more cancellations or derailments. There's a partnership agreement to showcase tribal heritage at national parks. November is Native American Heritage Month, so happy Native American Heritage Month. But now through the end of the year, the National Park Service and its partners commemorate the traditions of America's indigenous peoples. The National Park Service and the American Indian Alaska Native Tourism Association have entered into a cooperative agreement to help facilitate dialogue between tribes and the NPS. AIANTA frequently provides connections between NPS and tribal leaders. This partnership will ensure that the voices and traditions of indigenous communities are incorporated into cultural tourism programs that are in the national parks. National Park Service Deputy Director Sean Bench stated, we look forward to expanding our relationship with AIANTA, which has already been instrumental in developing networks between the National Park Service and Native American communities. AIANTA's national and international tourism programs have benefited local communities and the organization's past work with the NPS has demonstrated AIANTA's understanding of the historic connections between the tribes and the NPS. The new five-year agreement will expand opportunities for communication through 
AIANTA sponsored virtual and in-person forums between the NPS and Native nations located in National Park Gateway communities. The resulting collaborations seek to expand awareness of American Indian, Alaska Native, and Native Hawaiian connections. This partnership will highlight opportunities to visitors to engage with tribal communities and support Native-owned businesses. More than 70 tribes have been contacted to participate and provide their voice to the tribal stories along the Juan Bautista de Anza National Historic Trail. Native American tribes have ancestral connections to public lands that predate the formation of the National Park Service by millennia. JetBlue and Alaska Airlines are expanding their code share deals with existing airline partners. JetBlue and Alaska Airlines both announced new code share partners to boosting their service to Europe. JetBlue is expanding its code share with Iceland Air while Alaska is linking up with British Airways. JetBlue, of course, already has its Northeast alliance with American Airlines, which should help it dramatically with its expansion plans to Europe if that alliance gets approved by the U.S. Department of Justice. Survey says more people will be flying home and traveling to visit family this year after a sharp decline due to COVID across the country family-related travel this fall and winter with seven in ten holiday travelers planning to spend time with family and friends. Forty percent of travelers reported they will spend time with family without any COVID precautions or concerns. Thirty-five percent will gather with family but with some health and safety precautions like outdoor venues, mask wearing, etc. And thirty-two percent will limit the size of family gatherings this year. Only four percent reported they do not plan to attend family gatherings this fall and winter because of COVID concerns. I know I stayed put last year and I plan to travel home for the holidays and spend some time with my parents. I'm looking forward to that. Well, that's all I've got for travel news. And when I come back, we'll have Javon's Travel Minute and Tamika Norris, CEO of Capable Clothing, as we talk about the growing number of travelers with special needs. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Visit the website, travelingculturati.com. I also want you to connect with me on social media and join the Travel Club. We have so much fun doing both. And now, Javon's Travel Minute. Don't be afraid to ask for an upgrade. This applies to the hotel and the airline. I've had most success when I'm checking in. Why? Because if they have the availability, they will either accommodate or give you a special offer that you just can't refuse. Hotels have more flexibility than airlines when it comes to upgrades, especially at check-in. 
It certainly helps if you are an awards member or a frequent guest. And if they say no, check to see what specials they're running. Hotels may have certain rooms with added amenities for a special price. And even if it's not an upgrade to a suite, it could be a bump up from your current room category. For the airlines, it's a bit tougher. However, Often there's a special for an upgrade at a lower cost. I stumbled upon a special rate that is actually offered all the time with SAS, the airline of Sweden. I was surprised that it would only cost $250 to upgrade my economy ticket to business class. You have to do it at the counter, prepay to get on the list. And if the seat still remains available an hour before flight, your card is charged and you get upgraded to business class. I thought that was a deal and a steal, but you'll also find when you're checking in at the airline kiosk, you're often asked, would you like to upgrade? And a lot of times it's less expensive to upgrade at the airport than it is a day or so in advance because the seat's empty. They might as well get something for it. So don't be afraid. Go ahead and ask for that upgrade. This is Javon, and that was your Travel Minute. There's a growing number of travelers who have special needs and are quite capable of traveling, but the real question is, are their needs being met? And do they have the information, resources, and tools to support their wanderlust? Joining me today is Tamika Norris, CEO of Capable Clothing, a clothing line specifically designed to assist those with limited abilities. Well, hello, Tamika, and welcome to Traveling Culturati. Hello, Javon. I'm excited to talk to you today. Well, you came to mind immediately, one, for obvious reasons, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later, because you've launched a fantastic clothing line called Capable Clothing. But one of the reasons that you immediately resonated with me is, of course, because you have the wanderlust and you are an avid traveler as well. When did your wanderlust start? My wanderlust started when I took a trip with my girlfriends when I was younger. So all we could afford was a, a trip to Mexico and we all piled in one room. And that was my first trip out of the country. And I fell in love with the food the cultures, the colors, like it wasn't just a trip for me to have fun with my girlfriends. I wanted to experience the entire culture of Mexico. And that made me wonder, well, what else is out there that I haven't been exposed to? So I just started going to different locations. I'm honored to say that you are one of our travelers as well, and you've been many places with us, and you've been many places without us as well. And our main goal is just that people go out and travel. What are some of your favorite places? I have to say that most of my favorite places are places that I've been to with you. And the reason I say that is because when I travel with you, you push me a little bit to experience things that I would never have chosen on my own. Greece was one of my favorites. Switzerland was one of my favorites. And I must say, I would have never gone to the Charlie Chaplin Museum, let's just say. And that is one of the highlights of my travel when you all took us to the Charlie Chaplin Museum because we had a riot in the museum. We had so much fun. 
And I would say those are two of my absolute favorite places that I've gone with you. We did have a lot of fun and I took your leads. I'm not going to take credit for the creativity because it was your idea to pose with the different mock-ups that they had at the Chaplin (laughs) Museum. But yes, you know, when you've discovered these places sometimes, I had no idea he was the advocate that he was in the film industry during his time. So his story was so interesting to learn about it, but it was a lot of fun going through and taking photos and putting ourselves in his movie scenes. <laughs> yes, it was a blast. And those are the types of adventures that I enjoy having with you all because you expose me to things I otherwise would not have chosen had I chosen the agenda. And I love that about traveling with you all. Well, thank you so much. Now, As we're talking about today, there's a growing number of travelers who have special needs, but there are also a growing number of travelers with special needs who are very capable, pun intended, uh, (laughs) (laughs) of traveling. And we're seeing more people push past what previously was known as limitations. So what sparked that interest for you in providing this information, but also connecting with this community? It started when I became a home health nurse. So basically, a home health nurse, in many instances, is the person that comes home with you from the hospital after you have had an incident, a broken neck, a broken back, you can no longer walk. So they have to reintroduce you to what your new normal looks like. So working as a home health nurse, I have many clients or patients who still work, they still traveled, and I had to travel with them. And I became knowledgeable about what it's like to travel with the wheelchair and how frustrating it can be at times. And then I found different ways to educate myself on how not to make it as intimidating. So I figured, well, there must be other people out there limiting themselves because they're just afraid of what lies out there. So if we share information and we all just get a little more educated about what it looks like, then it won't be as intimidating. And I'm quite sure there's also some of that movement from place to place, even going from a healthcare facility to the home. What challenges were you presented with and how did you start this path of creating a solution to that challenge? Capable was simply born from a need. It was just the challenges of day-to-day living. And I just sometimes think it looks bigger than it actually is. And it's easy for me as an able-bodied person to say, well, just do it. All you have to do is just do ABC. But when you're in a wheelchair, you're more vulnerable And it just looks like you're climbing this huge mountain. And I figure, well, let's figure it out. Let's get the information out there. And I want it capable to be the bridge that helped make that happen for a lot of people. Because sometimes if you're just intimidated by something, it could literally just be a little education that makes you take the next step. And if you were an avid traveler before your injury, I believe that you shouldn't be limited by a wheelchair. You can still get out there and travel. There's just a safe way to do it. Oh, absolutely. And how do you feel that the industry can be more accommodating to those travelers who have special needs? Oh, my goodness. That is the loaded question. Because there are so many limitations, and I think that there's a lot of education that can be had on both sides. 
I think that some of the industries, such as the airline industry, they're still running on rules from the 80s or the 90s, maybe even the 70s, who knows, but technology has changed and the wheelchairs have changed, but they're still handling wheelchairs in the old way. So let's say, so wheelchairs used to have, batteries had acid in them. So they would lay the wheelchairs on their sides and the acid would leak and there was a big problem. But now if you have a scooter or a wheelchair, they have gel batteries. So the gel batteries can stay in the wheelchair. They don't have to disassemble the wheelchair. I think that educating the staff could be helpful because I've had a patient, when you check in, they had the patient, okay, now you have to get out of your wheelchair. But then truth be told, you don't have to get out of your wheelchair until you get to the door of the airplane. So I think there's just a lot of education that needs to be had and with the airline and with the patients as well, because I think it's more so if you're a traveler with limited ability, you really have to educate yourself. And I would imagine advocate for yourself as well and letting the suppliers know not only what your special needs are, but what you're capable of as well. And so what are your thoughts on the hotel rooms? I know there are just about all hotels these days, uh, maybe not necessarily in other countries, but they have a certain number of rooms uh, that are accessible rooms, as they're called in the industry. Correct. I'm going to say this like probably repeatedly. Do your education do your research before you travel. That's the biggest thing because a lot of companies will mark a room as accessible and it isn't accessible at all. So you have to have a lower bed, which is nice. It's easier to transfer from your wheelchair or scooter onto the bed. You need a roll-in shower. You need a toilet at a certain height. And many Many times, even in newer hotels, I've traveled with patients and I found that they're not up to code. So you have to do your research on the hotels before you travel and you have to read the reviews of other travelers who have been at that hotel and what their experience was. And I can imagine that there's such a spectrum of special needs, even those that are in a wheelchair, what works or will not work for one may work or will not work for the other, because it really, again, depends on, and I may not be using the proper terminology here, but how much you're attached to your wheelchair or how much you can distance or detach yourself from your wheelchair. It depends on the level of injury for the person. And so that depends on if they can use their arms, if they have their fine motor skills, if they can use their fingers, if they transfer using a slide board, if they transfer using a Hoyer lift. I've been on cruises where they're more accommodating than some hotels. So you have to use your research in something as simple as the height of the bed or a roll-in shower. If we don't have what we need on a trip as an able-bodied person, We can figure out a different way to do things. But if you're in a wheelchair and you can't take a shower or you can't use a washroom, that could ruin your entire trip. So you definitely have to educate yourself, research the hotel. And each hotel should have an accessible 
section where you can read and it should tell you what you need to know about the height of the bed and what they have available for you as a disabled person. Absolutely. And I think as any traveler, you have to educate yourself. So that goes across the board. You have to educate yourself about the destination and you have to be able to ask certain questions of your own special needs. I think that because I'm a travel professional, but a lot of these things I don't know. And so I think it's also a good idea to align yourself with a travel professional who is versed with travelers with special needs because they have handled travelers with special needs. They too know what questions to ask and they too know what types of facilities to ask the hotels, the airlines, because it's not just a matter of saying I'm a traveler with a special need. It's what are your special needs? And so I think that getting a travel professional with that area of expertise would certainly help as well. I know that United Airlines has been offering free pre-boarding special assistance for parents with children with autism. 19% of the U.S. population has a disability and 49% of U.S. seniors have a disability because, you know, we have an aging population as well. And even myself at my age, you know, things just don't come as easy (laughs) as they used to come. So I think we can all fall in that category and more and more baby boomers are retiring, some with disabilities, some with just limited abilities. So yeah, I think it's high time that the industry really pay attention to the community at large and really make it a broader and more comfortable place for all travelers. I agree. The population that I deal with is more so individuals in wheelchairs. And when you board an airplane, you are literally disconnected from a part of your body, basically. Your wheelchair is basically a part of your body. And when they take that wheelchair away from them, imagine how insecure they feel when their wheelchair is out of their hands and now it's being loaded into an airplane. And that's where the anxiety starts because you have to worry about how your chair is handled and is it going to make it from the destination where you started to the destination where you're landing safely. So I just wanted to touch on the point of having people know that when they receive their wheelchair, educate yourself. When you speak with your vendor and you receive your wheelchair or your scooter, if you're traveling with a wheelchair or scooter, I just would recommend for them to take every moving piece off of that wheelchair that can be broken. Because once it's loaded, it's out of your hands. And then when you get to your destination, if it gets there with a flat tire or if there's anything broken off, you're stuck with that. So I just wanted to make sure that people know that to read, go to the airlines and read first about the accessibility policy and how your hair will be handled. And definitely what you said about arriving early and speaking to the staff. You can even speak to the pilot if that'll make you feel better. But do things that make you feel comfortable. Don't feel rushed and ask questions. Certainly arriving early because. One thing I have become familiar with are passengers needing wheelchair assistance, even those that just need it from the counter to the gate. And the amount of time that you sometimes have to wait for that service, 
can be quite lengthy, even though when you get through security, a lot of times they'll, you know, put you ahead of that lane. But sometimes just getting that wheelchair assistance at the counter. And I've also experienced where it's in the record. But when you get there, it's not ready for you or sometimes they don't see it in the record. And again, that becomes a delay in you waiting for that service. Absolutely. That's why a lot of wheelchair users are moving over to cruising. They're more used to dealing with people with scooters and wheelchairs because they cater to an older population. I think the cruise industry is more used to dealing with people with disabilities and they have the wonderful bathrooms and the rolling showers and the rollout balconies. So if you're trying to travel as a wheelchair user, look at cruising as well. Look at other forms of travel. Yeah. And something else I'll share with you a few years back, Jean, and we've talked about this on the show before, so it's no secret, but a few years back, Jean developed severe vertigo. And so we had to get wheelchair assistance when we were transferring at Frankfurt Airport. And I was really just blown away by how much it took to get wheelchair assistance from gate to gate when you're transferring as well. And the route that they had to go through the airport. We had never experienced that before. And so a lot of times when you're looking at something from the outside in, you really don't understand everything that's involved. And so we were really surprised, some negatively, some positively on how the whole system works, especially for transferring at an airport. And a simple task wasn't that simple, to be honest with you, and how much time we needed in between. There was one place where we were taken to one waiting spot to have another service pick us up. (laughs) So it was from the gate to a waiting area and then a waiting area to another gate and then another transfer point because it was international. So it was quite interesting to see it from that perspective because we had never dealt with it before. Absolutely. There's two models of disability. One is the medical model and one is the social model. And the medical model says you're disabled because of your injury, right? You broke your neck, you broke your back, you're disabled. That's what makes you disabled. The social model says you're disabled by your environment. And I truly have had many instances where it's like, this is totally the social model. Small changes can make a big difference for a person. And that will take them out of the category of being disabled my environment is what's making me disabled. So there's still a lot of changes, but I must say it is getting better, but there's still a lot of changes that need to be made, especially mine. How does capable clothing differ and support those with special needs? And especially with traveling. Capable clothing, I make adaptive clothing for individuals with special medical needs and individuals living with a handicap. So things that we don't think about, if you're on a long flight, let's say you're going out of the country, and you have to use the washroom and you're in a wheelchair. That is scary and it can be a disaster. I've literally had patients who just would not drink water and they would just be dehydrated when they got from point A to point B. So I created a pant that allows you to empty your bladder while in the seated position. So you don't have to find a way to transfer into an aisle chair or you can't fit into the washroom on an airplane. So I created a pant that allows you to empty your bladder while in the seated position. 
And it's also good when you're traveling to have all of the embellishments off of your clothing, like pockets and zippers and all the things that you don't need. So these pants help prevent skin breakdown by taking off all of the embellishments that people in wheelchairs or people with special needs do not need. There's just so many things that we take for granted. So tell me a little bit more about the skin irritation and how you thought to address that. So with normal clothing, they normally have (laughs) embellishments on the pants and we're able to move our bodies every 15 minutes, reposition, and we don't even pay attention to the fact that we're repositioning our bodies. It's just a normal thing that we do. But if you have a spinal cord injury or you're a person with a new injury and you can't move around, you're just sitting on that back pocket. You're just sitting on that zipper and it breaks down the skin. The skin begins to die. In as little as 15 minutes to 30 minutes, your skin starts to die because it isn't getting any blood there, any circulation. So I removed all of the pockets and all of the embellishments and I added lift loops to the pants which allows a person uh, without the ability to reposition themselves or move themselves or transfer themselves, it gives them the ability to have assistance getting moved and transferred. And it's the person who is moving and transferring them. It allows them to have good body mechanics, which saves their back. And it also helps the person by just helping them make small adjustments, which go a long way, especially when transferring from surface to surface. You also said when in a seated position, and of course that sparked an interest with me because when you're flying, you're in a seated position, whether you're in your chair or not. And so how did you adapt your clothing to further assist someone who's in that seated position, as you said, to use the facility? Yeah. Isn't that frightening just to think about the fact that like, say you're going to Europe and you're just sitting on a plane and you have to use a washroom and you're in a wheelchair and there's absolutely no way that wheelchair is going to fit into that washroom, it's terrifying for them. So the pant actually has zippers on the side. And if you don't have your fine motor skills, if you don't have use of your fingers, you can zip and unzip the pants with just your gross motor skills. There's a false flap that opens and it opens wide enough to straight cast using sterile technique or a change adult incontinence underwear or dump an existing medical device. So let's say you wear a leg bag, an ostomy bag, urostomy bag, you can dump your medical device and leave your pants on and no one will ever know. You can just open the flap and dump it or straight cast. And that is a lifesaver for a person who is going across the country or even a two or three hour flight and you need to empty your bladder, it's an easier way to access your bladder. And it's very discreet. Wow. That's wonderful. And again, just the thought process that you've had in creating capable clothing, I can now understand why you're having the success that you're having, because it seems like it meets so many of the needs of the people with special needs and especially traveling. I saw on your Instagram the education you were giving to people without special needs and how they should treat people with special needs. And I really love that. And it was a silent lesson, but you had the words and the captions of the things not to do 
it really took me to being at an airport and some of the comments that I would hear other people say about people in wheelchairs, especially like, can I get a ride? Some of these like insensitive things. And I really love that. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. Being a home health nurse, being with my patients, I've experienced a gamut of things that would make your jaw drop. So I have, just because my patient is in a wheelchair, I had a patient with me. She's a teacher, wonderful, educated, intelligent woman. And I literally had a person walk up to her and pat her on her head. And Mm. I truly, I just can't bring it in my heart to believe that that person was trying to be mean or insensitive. But some of the comments she received, such as you're too pretty to be in a wheelchair or a person walking up and literally saying, you know, what happened to you? I felt it was insensitive, but I refused to believe that a person was just trying to be mean. I just felt that there was a bridge there, like the able-bodied community and the disabled community, that there was some education that needed to be had. So with the whole umbrella of capable, I wanted to bridge that gap and I wanted to educate the able-bodied community on things that they might not realize they're being insensitive but these are some of the things we should and should not say. And sometimes it's okay. It's okay not to say anything at all and just say hello. That in itself is powerful. Just say hello. You don't need to make small talk or say something, especially at the risk of it sounding insensitive. And I agree with you. I don't think the intent is to be insensitive. I think it's just not knowing what to say and wanting to strike up a conversation and being awkward in doing so. So I think that's a great lesson to just say hello. <laughs> when you that's say hello. Yes. That's why on my Instagram, I really love to educate people. We're different, but we're really all the same. What's your website for more information? I'm at www.capableclothing.com. C-A-P-A-B-L-E clothing.com. Tamika, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you today. The one thing I want to say to people out there is do not be afraid to travel. If you are in a wheelchair or you have a scooter or a disability, do not be afraid to travel. There's so much of the world to see. There's a lot out there and the world has changed. You just have to do your research and please get out there and see the world. Don't let your disability hold you back. Thanks again. And when we come back, we'll have the culture report. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm Javon Harley, your host and travel pro. Check out the website, travelingculturati.com. Follow us on social media and join the travel club. Culture is forever changing and reflecting what's happening in the society and with its people. It can be born from the music, food, arts, and sometimes politics and strife. This is the Culture Report. The culture of how we travel and prepare for travel is always interesting. Each day in our Traveling While Black Facebook group, we pose a question on various travel scenarios. Today, Jean and I want to share our preferences on some of those questions so that you can get to know us just a little bit better. And one thing I can tell you is you're going to find out 
we're an odd couple. Yeah, it's really interesting because a number of people say, you two are just alike. And we're like, "Uh, no, you don't know us at all then. (laughs) Because we differ on a lot of things and it's just the way we're raised and just the way the people who we are. But we do agree on a lot of things and one of them is our love of travel. So we love travel, but even getting there, we differ. Javon, window or aisle seat? Well, it's a window seat for me for the most part, but I sometimes switch it up. But the window seat, primarily. Yeah. And for me, it's always an aisle seat. I'm not sure. And I don't really care the configuration. If it's a two, four, two, 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 or two across each way, or even if it's a one, two, one, that's the only time I will consider a window when it has the aisle next to it. Cause I don't want to cross over anybody, especially in the middle of the night. You're almost always aisle that's right. without fail. Mm-hmm. I, on the other hand, I'm a bit more flexible. And I think that's probably the way we are in general. But typically, I like the window seat because I can lean, I can get some sleep. It's a bit easier, I think, to do that in the window seat. And, you know, with boarding, I hate everybody walking by and bumping. And it's just that foot traffic for everybody getting to their seat. Now, granted, that's only for boarding, that that's an issue. Take off and landing, but it's an issue and it makes a lot of sense. But on this one, and I encourage everyone to go to Traveling Raw Black, our Facebook group page, and sign up and join us. Because on this comment, it was very definitive. Nobody said, I don't really care. They were like, aisle and bold or window and bold. It was not too much in between. And I know every once in a while, based on the flight configuration, you might take an aisle seat, but you're pretty much a window person and I'm always an aisle person. And I think people are pretty much one way or the other when it comes to that. Yeah. And that also means that if you get the middle seat, no one's choosing it. You're just stuck with it. No No one chooses the middle seat. We'll give you an armrest on each side, but yeah, you poor thing. I feel for you. And I like the three across when there's nobody there and you can have your window and I can have the aisle. Yeah. However, you know, when you talk to a lot of couples, one part of the couple will either say that they want the aisle or the window and then the other person just wants to sit next to them. That's right. And they'll take that middle seat. But you and I are very different from that. We will book the window and the aisle and we don't care who Who's in the middle? <laughs> and they always ask, would you like to switch? No. <laughs> or you're we'll in the take, middle. Right. Or we'll take aisles across. Across from each other. And I prefer yeah. aisles across from each other because when we're in flight, nobody's in your way. It's very rare. And then when we get up to leave the plane, it's very easy for us to get up and leave. But of course, you got to deal with all those people getting on the plane who forget they have a backpack that weighs 40 pounds on their back and they turn around and hit you upside the head. So that's why a lot of people like the window one. So, you know, preparing for the trip is a lot, Javon. Let's talk about packing. And we do a lot of things on what to pack, but when to pack. And that was an interesting one because this one had many different answers. So the question was really, when do you pack? A week before hours before or somewhere in between. Now, granted, most people fall in the somewhere in between. But on the Facebook group, it was very interesting to see that quite a few people packed like Eugene very, very early. (laughs) Yeah, I wonder about you people. You know, because we are very well structured and planned out everything. So it's in my mind exactly what I'm going to take because I've been to a lot of destinations. And I know and like you, I learned from Javon, I have a color palette. I have a set couple of shoes that I'm going to take that include walking shoes and dress shoes. And I have everything lined up. Plus, based on the season, my travel clothes are already lined up in my closet that way. So I can just pull them out and put them in a suitcase. So one week before, you can count on the fact that I probably packed my bag and it's sitting next to the door waiting for me. 
Yeah. Me, on the other hand, if it's a long trip, I pack the day before. If it's a short trip, maybe a few hours before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's my favorite thing to sit up two o'clock in the morning while Javon packs the bag for the 6 a.m. flight. <laughs> now, what I will do is make a packing list. And I start that pretty early out. But also understanding that there's some things that I never unpack, of course, like my toiletries, like my electronics you know, cables and things like that. And even things that I don't use on a regular basis, but I always, depending on where I'm going, will need it for my trip. Like there's an umbrella packed in my bag. There are beach shoes packed in my bag. There are basic toilets, right? There's a robe and there are some slippers. So certain things are already in my bag. And then I determine what do I need for this particular destination. And one thing I need to put in there, though, that I took out, and I don't know why I took it out, which was a slicker, a rain poncho. And I need to go back to putting that in. So everything else is really what I want to take for that particular day. Now, the same true for unpacking. Again, this was a very interesting question. You know, when do you unpack when you return from a destination? And the answers were hysterical, but fun to learn about you. So again, we're letting you know about us. Me, I take my dirty clothes out. So when I'm traveling, I always pack a laundry bag and I put all my dirty clothes in there. So when I come back, I take my laundry bag out and then I can wash my clothes. The other clothes, I don't tend to unpack unless I need them. So if it's out of season, then yeah, they can stay in there for a little while. But if I need them right away, then I'll go ahead and unpack those. But Jean? As soon as I get in the door, my bag goes right back to the room, (laughs) open on the bed, and then I unpack and I hang up and put away everything. The dry clean items go to the dry clean and the items to be washed go in the wash. And get this, folks, I know. I also refill my toiletries on the first day back so that that toiletry bag goes right back in and it's ready to go again. Yeah, I told you, we're an odd couple. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, what about a laptop or a tablet? I think we're probably the same on this one. This is probably one of the only ones that we're the same on. Yeah, we both have tablets, but rarely use them. I carry a laptop for business And my smartphone is what I use for pictures and entertainment. So you have people say, well, I want to watch movies. I watch them on my phone or on the plane. My music is on there. My pictures are taken on there. And I do most of my communications with my phone. But when it comes to business, I'd rather use a laptop because I like the keyboard on a laptop. Yeah, we're the same on that one. No argument there. For me, it's really the question of whether or not I'm going to take my laptop. That's right. (laughs) Because in some places, let's be honest, you do not need either a laptop or a tablet. You can get by with a smartphone. I think this was a bigger question, but we still post it and we get definitive answers of people who go one way or the other. I just will say this. Stop using your tablet to take pictures in a crowd. You're blocking everyone else's view. (laughs) That's the news and comment section. Now, are you a night owl or an early bird. Now here's where we differ again. Biggest differentiation between the two of us. If you are a person who's been up after 10 p.m. on one of our group trips, you will state the following. I have never seen Gene Harley. (laughs) If you are a person who is up at 5 a.m., then you can say, oh, I just saw Gene in the gym or he's getting ready for breakfast downstairs. But if you want to have a good time and be up socializing and talking about the world's features and what's going on in the world today, and it's 1030 p.m. at night, you can find Javon with the group and they're having a great time. So that's where we really differ. 
Yes, I am the night owl. Now, of course, I have to get up early. It's just the world works that way. Everything opens at a certain hour. You want to get up and out and do things when you're seeing attractions and you're taking tours. So I do so, but I do so begrudgingly. I'm not the person who jumps out of bed to greet the day with hello and opening the windows. No, no, I'm not the early bird on that one. I am the night owl. I am the one who's going to hang out with you. I am the one who's going to have a glass of wine with you and sit up and talk with you all night. I just love that. I just love of the night. I'm a creature of the night. What can I say? But we make it happen. I just know that Gene loves it when I'm not traveling with him because he can go to sleep early without interruption and mm-hmm. without the television on. No TV. <laughs> Rarely turn on the TV. Yeah, that's true. Now, when it comes to destinations, a lot of it falls on the time of year that you're there. So we asked the question, what is your favorite season? And I'm really strange on this one. How about you, Javon? I'm very particular, but I don't let it just dictate the time of year that I travel. My favorite season, generally speaking, is the fall. Yes. I think it's also a great time to travel. One, it's not as crowded, what we call that shoulder season, but there are two shoulder seasons. There's spring and there's fall, but I like fall better. I love the weather. You typically only need a jacket, if at all, and sometimes you surprisingly get summer-like temperatures, but not the hot, humid summer. I just, a lot of the fall activities, things that are happening in the fall, especially in the United States, but of course, the other parts of the world that have four seasons, it's just a beautiful time. You have fall foliage. You know, I did a whole show on the fall, my favorite time of the year. Yeah, and this is where we agree very strongly again. Fall for me is the best time, and maybe even for a different reason, because fall has all the benefits of summer without the cost. The temperature is really mild, or based on where you are, very moderately comfortable, where you can still go out and do everything. The water, if you're going to a seaside destination, is still warm from a hot summer. So if you're there in September and October, the water is still roughly the same temperature as late August. So you have all those benefits going in. I guess definitively for me is to avoid anything that has the word winter in it. Winter sports, winter activities, winter snow. Everything except for the Aurora Borealis. I can't find anything about winter that I truly love. So that's where I differ. Ah, well, there you have it. We're an odd couple. But we always like to hear from you and how you travel in different travel scenarios. Again, we have a great Facebook group, Traveling While Black. You want to join that and be a part of that community. It's a wonderful place to be, and we'd like to hear from you, and we'd like for you to share your experiences and your stories as well, and to see how you travel. Well, that's it for the show today. Wherever you go, go with all your heart. Confucius. Ladies and gentlemen. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Ladies and gentlemen.